Hello, and welcome to this new edition of the Market Horizons podcast. In this podcast, we will focus on blockchain bonds and how legal frameworks around the world are changing to accommodate for this new technology in the capital market space. This podcast is a follow-up on the first blockchain bond-focused podcast that was released in May of last year. The first podcast looked at digital bonds, which some are calling the future of debt capital markets, and we looked at the potential benefits and challenges to adopt these new structures. And now, in the second podcast, we're looking at legal frameworks around the world that are changing to accommodate for these new instruments. So in this second podcast, we're actually going to hear from experts across the ANO network that are focusing on these products. So I have the pleasure to introduce you to Dan Fletcher in London, Hervé Cue in Paris, Salvador Ruiz in Madrid, Jonathan Herringa in Amsterdam, Justin Cook in New York, Agnes Tseng in Hong Kong, and Councils Daphne from der Boven in Amsterdam, as well as Daniela Schmidt in Frankfurt, Emilio La Sala in Rome, and myself, Philip Noltner in Luxembourg. This podcast is going to be split in two parts, where the first part, we're going to look at the U.S. and APAC, and in the second part, we're going to look more on European jurisdictions. Now turning over to Justin. So Justin, you are a capital markets partner in New York. And can you tell us what is happening in the US that is impairing or now enabling the use of digital bonds in the US? Unfortunately, on the US side, we have not seen significant developments in the area. Certain states, most importantly Delaware, have taken steps specifically to contemplate the maintenance of corporate records on DLT systems, which is helpful. And as a matter of state law, our view is that New York contract law is sufficiently flexible to recognize bonds issued on the blockchain via a smart contract. But there are a number of impediments to the development of a DLT bond market at scale in the U.S. Most importantly, the U.S. Treasury has not proposed to issue central bank digital currency in respect of U.S. dollars, and it's unlikely that one would become commercialized in the foreseeable future. This means that would-be issuers of DLT bonds have two choices for the payment rail. The first is to substitute a stable coin representing U.S. dollars for the dollars themselves. That raises difficult questions of whether the stable coin is truly stable, keeping in mind that for investment-grade bonds, a fluctuation of even hundredths of a cent could make the instrument non-viable. The second option is to take the payment rail off-chain, which undermines the attractiveness of using DLT for the issuance in the first place. The other major impediment in the U.S. is federal and state regulatory regimes addressing financial markets and activity. Unlike in much of the rest of the world, in the U.S., these regimes are spread not only across a number of different regulators with their own mandates and their own agendas, but in many cases across more than 50 state and territorial regimes. All of this is to say that the U.S. may in many ways need to play catch-up with the rest of the world in several years when DLT-based bonds become more broadly commercialized. Thank you, Justin. In a nutshell, I would say that the position in the U.S. is actually far from being crystal clear. And now, for more flavor in terms of what's happening in the East, I turn over to uh, Agnes Tsang, that's our partner in Hong Kong. Agnes, can you tell us what's happening in Hong Kong, Singapore, and Thailand so that we can understand how digital bonds are being seen in this part of the world? Thanks for having me. Hong Kong's existing regulations are tech-neutral for securities issuance. And for digital assets, 
that are securities, which include bonds, the existing licensing regime on regulated activities, such as dealing in securities, advising on securities, would apply to digital bonds. In July, the Hong Kong government has introduced the Anti-Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorist Financing Amendment Bill 2022, which includes a new licensing regime for virtual asset exchanges to be supervised by the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission, which is the first virtual asset-specific legislation in Hong Kong. Under the bill, securities fall outside the definition of virtual assets. So for exchanges that offer trading in tokens, which are securities, have to be licensed or authorized under the existing securities exchange regime. Recognizing the potential of DLT and Web3 to become the future of finance and commerce, in October, the Hong Kong government issued a policy statement on the development of virtual assets. In particular, the Securities and Futures Commission will conduct a public consultation on how retail investors may be given a suitable degree of access to virtual assets and the possibility of having ETFs on virtual assets in Hong Kong market. The Hong Kong government and the regulators are also exploring a number of pilot projects, including green bond tokenization and e-Hong Kong dollar. In Singapore, similar to Hong Kong, the rules in Singapore are technology neutral in that there is no standalone regime for issuances of digital assets or digital bonds. Each product being offered has to be examined on its terms to determine how that product would be characterized under Singapore laws. For example, if a digital bond meets the definition of a debenture, then the regime applicable to debentures generally would apply. It is also worth noting that Singapore has a separate digital payment tokens regime, any regime that will also regulate virtual asset service providers, where the legislation has been passed, but which has not yet come into effect. Moving to Thailand, digital bond issuance is possible under the existing regulatory framework. Last year, our Bangkok office advised on Thailand's and also Asia's first digital corporate bond by PTTEP. However, there were certain legal obstacles that we had to overcome in order to rely on the existing securities regime. For example, specific terms such as holders of the digital bonds have the right to opt out from the digital bond operating platform at any time after the bond issuance, that is, to withdraw their bonds from the digital wallet and obtain a bond certificate must be included in order to satisfy the relevant requirements under local Thai regulations. We are seeing an increase in digital bond transactions in Thailand following PTTEP's transaction. While there is no specific restriction with respect to the governing law of digital bonds of Thai issuers, transactions done so far have been domestic and they have been governed by Thai law. Thank you very much, Agnes. I think this was very interesting and, and I'm really pleased to hear that there's a lot going on around the world. So I want to thank you also, Justin, for having brought this level of complexity and this additional layer to the US. So for this first part, I think it's fair to say that the path is certainly not yet fully established and that there's a lot more to be tracked in order to see how blockchain bonds can work in the future. 
And to all the listeners, well, thank you so much for listening to the second episode on digital bonds, you know, where we explored how the DLT is transforming the global bond market. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on the latest developments and trends in the US and APAC, and how blockchain is creating new opportunities and challenges for issuers, investors, regulators, and intermediaries. We'll be back soon with the second part of this episode, where we'll dive deeper into the recent and upcoming regulatory trends in the EU at a national and EU-wide level. Until then, stay tuned and stay informed. This is Philip Noltner for the Digital Assets team of AO signing off. Mm-hmm.